Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank. With your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat not, financial advisors, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. All right, uh, here we are. I This is Random Andrew here. I am with our very first guest. We've talked about this on the, if you've listened for a while, we've talked about this on the intro for a long time that we would have guests. We've uh, yet to actually do that. And well, that's up until today. Uh, we've had, uh, we have a data, si- a data scientist joining us today. He actually reached out as El Barto Crypto, as he goes by on, twi- on Twitter. He reached out uh, and asked to to be a guest on the podcast. And, you know, I, I felt like we really needed to, to actually do it. So here we are. Welcome to the show, El Barto Crypto. <laughs> GM, well, thanks for having me. I've realized in life, if you just ask people enough, they either get sick of you or they let you do something. So in this case, I'm glad to be the latter. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to actually do this. You know, it's a good, needed a, you know, a little instigator to, to make it happen. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So... Tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you get where you are? How'd you get into crypto? Yeah, so I am actually a data scientist by trade. I worked in marketing analytics for probably a little longer than a decade, doing everything from segmentation, machine learning, just writing basic SQL queries. I spent a lot of time doing customer analytics for very large brands uh, in the marketing space. And then Sort of caught the Bitcoin bug in like end of 2014-ish, and you couldn't do really anything at that point. You just send Bitcoin right. to each other, and that was, that was fun. <laughs> and then, yeah, Ethereum ICO came. Um, once again, people still just, you know, sending ETH around, maybe trading on ZeroX, Ether Delta, these crazy um, underground exchanges. Uh, but once for, for a while, you know, really the only thing you could do is, is not get caught up in a scam or an ICO scam. <laughs> And then uh, right around 2019, I believe it was, um, Dune Analytics launched. And that was like sort of the, that was sort of like the great equalizer for data scientists, because now all of a sudden you have this platform that you could tap into to query the blockchain, you know, for free, honestly. And that was like the, the most beautiful thing. You could just easily share careers with people, share dashboards with people. Then this analytics community sort of joined around that. And then other products like Nonsense launched, um, Flipside Crypto, a lot of these, you know, data, open blockchain on, on BigQuery. And so now all of a sudden, you, you know, you didn't have to worry about data engineering, running your own validator, running your own node. You could just query data and you build, you know, beautiful data sets. And, uh, I think a lot of things like in the marketing analytics background definitely applied crypto just in terms of, you know, user retention, who's actually using products, machine learning, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Been a very natural transition to, uh, to analyzing data. And now, uh, now it's gone crazy (laughs) to analyze a lot of Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's a lot of fun though. Meet a lot of people like yourself. So, yeah. So it's similar background. I was, I did a lot in, in e-commerce analytics marketing, uh, before this and, you know, found my way into crypto and, and it's, it's, it's really exciting having 
access to all of the the data as opposed to you know just what the uh, the, the one company that you're working with uh, provides, right? Yeah, I mean that's such a good point. Like I, I think people don't realize like how special this data set is. Like, if you go work for you know like a big enterprise company, even as a data scientist, like well, one like you probably don't get access to data right away. You probably have to get approved. You have to you know build the trust of people to start analyzing data. Um, here from day one, you know it's it's open right here. You can even I think Google BigQuery gives you three hundred dollars free, uh, so you can just tap in immediately and start querying data. It's really uh, it's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. How did you, what was, what did you get started with when you started on Dune? I mean, you saw that it was available, there's free data. What, what were the first projects that you got interested in? Yeah. So the first thing was just really looking at like what, who's using, uh, who's using the platform. And as many, many people know my dog who's in the background, but he's going, he's just running from farm to farm is what he's doing. Uh, many people, uh, I think for, at first it was just creating, you know, uh, just the raw blockchain data itself to really like understand what's going on. I think, I think one of the biggest problems people face is there is this open data set, but immediately they um, get inundated with these uh, very specific contract calls and they have to um, decode data and all of a sudden you're dealing with OXs and hashes. And I think at first people get really like overwhelmed. And I remember looking at um, doing for the first time and just seeing all these contract abstractions. Like, I think it, it must've started with Aave back then, but just thinking like, what is going on here? Like ha this is, this seems impossible. So I think it definitely takes a lot of patience, but at first it was just, you know, how many people are using the Ethereum blockchain? You know, how many people a day are using it? How many people used it last month and now are using it this month again? So it was really, for me, it was really just basic before, um, really diving into like more more of the abstractions around like Aave and then Compound and really seeing that lending side. And then really just trying to visualize like who's making big Dex trades, you know, just very basic, like, hey, just let's just sort Dex trades by USD volume. And like, let's just see who's buying thing. Um, so I think like, yeah, at first it was like super basic because honestly it, it's very overwhelming when you first look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having all of the data available is is great and it's also overwhelming right having all the choices <laughs> exactly too, too much. Everything at you at once. it's uh yeah it's a lot of words how did you you know 2019 it was you know a lot of dex trades you know then we got into you know the kind of DeFi after that and then you know so you know nfts come you know big in you know in 2021 i you know i'd say is when it was you know really took off how did you uh what did, how did you start working with the NFT data um, and how did you find that different than working with some of the, uh, the early token data? Yeah, I like, the reason I like NFT data a lot is because um, the same token ID and the same um, the transfers across trades. So I think one of the biggest problems you have with DEX trade and analyzing like DeFi data is um, people can immediately go anonymous. Like if I make a huge, Dex trade, I can then just go back into Binance or just send my phone back to Coinbase or, and then it just becomes like an, an empty hole. Like, well, what happens with that person? What happens with that token? But for NFT data, since it's all on chain and you can't really, and each token is, is essentially a, a unique token, it, it really lends to some interesting analytics around how long people hold NFTs. So I think that's what one of the things that drew me to it was it's Understanding the nuances are obviously like very complicated, like with wash sales, which, are, which we'll probably talk about later. But 
from the very beginning, it made sense to me that like ID one is always ID one and it always corresponds to the ID one. So it really lends to some beautiful, like long-term analytics, uh, with NFT. Yeah. That, that none, that non-fungible aspect really exactly way. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think people take, I, I think, I think people don't realize like how unique that is. Uh, it definitely allows for, for interesting transactions for interesting analysis. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely found that interesting when you look at NFT collections. I mean, you can't look at trades as you can't look at every trade as the same. I mean, there are oftentimes reasons that things are trading at, at much, maybe something significantly higher than the floor. You know, sometimes there aren't, and you know, we know there's a lot of wash trading out there. Um, have you found that? Have you found that aspect difficult to de decipher? You know, what is real versus uh, sort of the wash trade, or how much do you? Yeah. Uh, shout out to Hill Dobby today for, for introducing a new, uh, uh, wash trading flag. Um, so at first, like I remember this is like really dating myself. So like, well, let's, you know, starting with like the looks rare, um, that was like when, when people first like, and in that, um, wash trade concept of like, Hey, volume is exploding, but in reality, like people are just bids and terraforms. Yeah, exactly. With so I think it's like, it, yeah, I think it's like. It's so interesting because you, you, you can do very basic, you can do very good analytics, just the basic, you know, SQL group by statement. This is, this is data po science podcast. We'll just go right into and nerding it out. But you can do very like easy analytics with, you know, group by day, you know, what's the volume of NFT sales? And I think a lot of, a lot of mainstream publications like to just look at like, okay, um, volume is down 80, but in reality, like it's obviously much more different than that. So we now know that. Oh, okay. a lot of volume on looks rare was really just people farming bullets for a token to mindlessly trading token. And so from there, it, you know, it'll, it, it forced people to sort of think a little deeper in terms of, you know, a trade is not just a trade and, you know, what is an actual wash sale trade or, and now I think it's, it's interesting because blur almost, it, it forces you to rethink about analytics once again, because we know like what a, a wash trade is now, but now there's like these very interesting um, analytics going on about people, you know, taking this one step further and doing all sorts of crazy placing orders, like slightly above the floor price, when it may not be a wash sale or maybe swapping out NFTs. So like, let's say if you own a board ape and you just want to farm, you don't really care what ape you own and you just kind of want to farm the, the blur sale. You can sort of just sell your ape, buy another one, sell that one, buy another one. It's not really changing. And even take a slight loss to exactly. Yeah. Or to or eventual right. blur token. It's exactly. In the hopes of getting a $50,000 airdrop. Uh, so it, it's interesting now, like as these NFT models evolve for, for revenue for these exchanges, like then doing the due diligence of analytics to, to figuring out, you know, what's real. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, we see these incentives and I mean, we've seen all these uh, sort of vampire attacks on OpenSea and different ways to try to maybe disincentivize people from gaming the systems and it seems like collectors or you know maybe not I maybe those I shouldn't really call those people the collectors these are the the people out there there's somebody that's going to figure out how to to make the most of the system and you know it's it's a tough one when you to to, to look ahead and realize what people are going to do oh absolutely yeah and I think it's it's, I don't want to say it's fun as an analytics person, but like, it definitely makes you think and it definitely challenges you to say, okay, um, how can I use data to, to understand what, what's really going on? Um, right. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, all of these different crypto charts, there's always, you know, looks all steady until there's a serious inflection point and something drastic changes. And, and you see this all the time. I mean, you know, and it just the volume that you see among OpenSea and Blur and and looks rare. And you, know, you, you sort of need to know the story behind why these these things are changing so drastically. Yeah, exactly. And I think that makes you a better analytics person too. Like I, you know, if, if you're looking to break into this sector and, and, you know, like on job interviews and things like that, like definitely bringing up points of like, well, why do you think, um, hey, this data looks like the way it is. Is it sustainable? Exactly to your point. Like, is it sustainable? Like what's really going on here? I think you really have an ability to differentiate like in the space if you can bring these, you know, differentiated analytics. So can you tell me a little bit about Block 199 and, and the NFT hotler segmentation that you've been working on? Yeah, so um, we are essentially just a research firm. Uh, we do research for, you know, individuals, for protocols uh, all across the stack. And so a while back, someone was essentially wanted to understand, you know, what, you know, how people, how different NFT projects are and what their users look like. So for example, like if you have an NFT project where most of the holders are people that, you know, are, are these larger whales, maybe just like trading in and out of things, you know, what does the long-term engagement really look like versus an NFT project where a lot of people um, we're in it from the beginning and um, they're true loyalists like of the project. And so what they were trying to understand was, you know, should I, you know, invest in this NFT project because are, are the people there really long-term holders? So the way to do that, and, and it's really a, a beauty of the blockchain is you, you, can, uh, you can essentially just take all the holders of a certain NFT collection and then, you know, uh, count how many NFTs they own, sum the amount of volume that's been spent. Look at, you know, are they, how much wash sales have they done? How many floor sweeps have they done? So you essentially have this data frame of, you know, the 10, you know, the 5,000 holders and, you know, what's all their NFC activity. From there, you can just like run a K-mean segmentation to find these different um, groups of, of people and then figure out like, okay, well, what is their activity in the entire NFT space? So if you see that, you know, 90% of the holders, you know, on average hold an NFT collection for 20 days or are the, you know, top 10% of traders on X2Y2, you may think twice about buying that NFT collection because you know people are just flipping it for the sake of flipping it. Right, right. And so when you're looking at these, the activity, you're looking at activity from all NFTs that, that may have had, uh, been passed through this wallet, you're not looking at necessarily that specific collection, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you can, you can almost sort of like then do this matrix, if you will, like you could segment, um, just like current activity and then sort of like create this matrix of like, yeah, all other energy activity to get really like dive into like how the users play out. But ideally, like what you're looking for and in the case of this person that they were looking for was they wanted to see that people who are like true contributors to the NFT community or they had like strong holdings and like would hold on would hold on a lot. I think like some good examples of that are like if you look at Pudgy Penguins, um, shout out to the to the Penguin group. Um, a lot of them have if you, you just look at simple like distribution, the how long they've owned the project for, like a lot of them um have held since the beginning almost. And so you kind of look at that community and say like, okay, is that something that I want to do for the long term? Um, 
And, the price, and you know, the price has done pretty well. I mean, they had a, a recent a mini surge this um, past couple of weeks, but it makes sense because, you know, just the supply of, of penguins to hit the market is, if no one's selling, it's always going down the, the number, the amount of supply that's hitting the market. So uh, it makes sense that, you know, eventually uh, prices, price go up. So versus, uh, versus like, I mean, you, you see, there's a state interest, I guess, is, is something that it's a little hard to measure from inactivity, but if they're not, if they're not dumping, there is something there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, that's like the holy grail of NFT engagement is how do you measure engagement of, of the non-sellers? Because right now I, I, you know, I just like volume does not equal engagement. If someone is selling their NFT, they're the least engaged with the brand. Right, right. Volume is is a very poor measure of of the quality of a project. Exactly. I the problem is like unfortunately like we don't have another way to to do this. And I think like the ways so far, it's interesting looking at the the board ape ecosystem and, and and maybe you can see, you know, how many people are participating in governance or how many, you know, ape holders also hold ape coin. But you know, getting outside of the blockchain, you know, engagement becomes a much more interesting thing. I think the evolution of NFTs should be some sort of like loyalty, you know, coming back to the marketing world, you know, some sort of like marketing, uh, you know, CRM engagement platform where you can engage like outside of the blockchain. Uh, so it's, it's, it's definitely in its infancy. And I think, I'll, I think, I think NFT brands that are, are data first and are looking to expand their analytics capability are definitely gonna be better yeah it feels like there's just a lot not being used i mean you can obviously find out so much about your your holders and what their interests are just by looking at the wallet and i don't think that's being being used by many uh project creators or uh, leaders at this point oh yeah absolutely great um so you developed something called an nf or you're working on something called an nft degen score can you just tell me a little bit about that yeah, so I'm looking for someone to take this over, actually. So DM me because I'm going out on crypto paternity league soon. But essentially, uh, there's something called the DeFi um, DGen score, or just I think it's just called DGen score of like um, your DeFi activity. Right. And I I want to build. I'm in the process of building. Haven't built yet. Sort of like this NFT engagement or DGen score of okay, how many you know how many projects do you hold? How many mints have you done? How many how many trades have you placed? Um, the idea here is more along the lines of it's almost like a segmentation, but like if you're an NFT project that's going to whitelist some you know whitelist your project for certain holders or addresses, it would be nice if you had an idea of of you know, who would you want to whitelist this for? And like, do you want to exclude certain groups? Do you want to include only people that with above a certain score or, you know, have had certain engagement? So I think it's like really meant for, you know, hopefully for projects to better understand like, hey, let's, you know, make this, let's make this whitelist like for people that really care about NFTs or like people that aren't just going to like immediately dump um, these NFTs. So there's a lot of ways you can do this. I I would want to almost optimize this for like engagement with NFTs instead of just like farming to dump. But I think that's where the hard part comes in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing I mean, we're seeing sort of a misalignment in so many places of you know where are the you know, what is activity and you know what where is the you know where are the royalties coming from when you're thinking about all these 
these different issues, it seems like we come back to the same thing that people that are, are selling are the ones that are caught. I mean, you know, obviously a, 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 a sell requires a buy, but that's when the, the income comes into a project when ideally you just want nobody to, to really want to sell. Right. And yes, you know, how, yes. And exactly. how do you, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I see the one, I know that one of the projects that you want to work on is uh, trying to calculate the royalty income and, you know, do you see that as being a sustainable model going forward? I, you know, I'm very mixed on this because I used to think like, I used to want projects. I used to really like the royalty initiative because I think it is fair in some sense, but I think if we were to eliminate royalties like tomorrow, I think it would force NFT brands to start thinking of like alternative business models because yeah, like as we said over and over again, like the royalty optimizes toward people selling. In reality, it should be the complete flip of that. Like the most engaged people, like across every brand, the most engaged people with the brand are the ones like creating the revenue for you. I, while I, I don't know exactly where I fall in the royalty space right now. I, I, you know, it's not, luckily it's not my job to do that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I think that like it would force NFT brands to think of new revenue streams that I only think will help them because right now royalties are obviously limited to people that are buying and selling NFTs. And the goal is to be a brand, just a brand in general. Like when you think about Ferrari, like everyone knows Ferrari, their, their brand recognition is beyond anything. They, I, I was surprised though. I was looking at their, their income statement and they, the majority of their money, they still make off of selling cars, selling parts, et cetera. I think only like 15% of their revenue comes from like merchandising and things like that. For an NFT brand, that should be the opposite. In my opinion, like 15% should come from royalties and then 85% should come from some other. I don't know what that is. Hopefully Marvin and me can figure that out. But yeah. Yeah, it's tough to say what that is because they're, you know, as collectors, I I think people expect to get something from that. Mm -hmm. As we've seen recently with the uh, artifact uh, Nike, project you know people were not terribly happy when the 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 next part was the ability to buy something and you know maybe a discount so you know i think that still has to be worked out and i'm i'm curious where that does go yeah i'm not not exactly sure where i fall overall you know i'm very pro royalty for for artists but i think that's a very different thing than than these ten thousand piece collections you know when i think of art you know thinking of small collections or, or even one of one, I see that as being a sustainable model going forward, very different than, you know, 5,000 or 10,000, because you've always got other people that are, it becomes a bigger issue for the liquidity of a project when you've got a five or 10% um, royalty feed built in. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the art box, when you have only have 200 of them, you would help. Yeah. You would help that some sort of royalty. Right. Thing. Yeah. But um, it's also, yeah, like. It, it, when people expect something, it's like they, they don't understand like the, the basic like lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio, which is, which is completely flipped now. Because if I buy a doodle right now, uh, doodle will get, you know, whatever the 3% of my $6,000 sale. So let's call it $180. Like, right. And, uh, yeah, that's tough for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To give me more, uh, to give me, I, yeah, I think people definitely expect $180 more of stuff. And I know I hear, I hear doodle putt was really fun, but, um, 
Yeah, I didn't make it over there. I was I was down in Miami and I did not get to go to oh, that, yeah. unfortunately. I'm sure uh, I'm sure many of the doodle holders though are, are uh, negative. Uh, yeah, so that's like one of the issues, right? Like if you become a doodle holder, you expect the world, but like the, the economics just don't work yet. Hopefully they do in the future, but yeah. Or like, I mean, I think that's like, I think this introduces like new, like new forms of business. Like if, if doodles were to, you know, create people beds, but like you could lend your NFT to somebody to go or, you know, that they would pay a, a fee and like lend a doodle or something like that. I think like there could be interesting innovation there. It's just, yeah, it is. It does feel like it's still to be determined how, how to really structure these for, for a longer term. You know, it, it reminds me a bit of just, as you saw advertising and then, you know, online advertising, it got more and more expensive and, you know, there's more promotions and, and things to get people to come and click. And, and you know, we're talking about the, the lifetime acquisition, you, you know, it went from early on when you were advertising on, on Google, you know, you could make, you know, you could even maybe make a profit on, on a sale or something. And then it turned into a longer and longer lifetime. And you just saw that the costs go up as it sort of got inflated. And, you know, I think part of that was maybe, you know, there was obviously more money being spent and you saw that there's a lot of, a lot of venture capital coming in. Now I'm, I'm wondering like how that's going to start affecting, you know, these rewards, and everything, you know, if it's going to be, you know, in, I, I mean, I assume that it's going to get redistributed. They're like less middlemen, you know, we can, it's being given directly and, you know, it's hard to recognize what is, what's, what's real versus, you know, what's sort of artificially pumped in. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And it'll probably take another year to play out. Yeah. What this looks like, but. Um, what else are you uh, excited about right now? I think definitely like the, more of the in-person experiences, um, within yeah. the space. I think like, I, I, I'm glad everyone is mad at like Live Nation and Ticketmaster right now, because I, I hope yeah. that, uh, I hope that somehow the NFT space, uh, can solve for that somehow. Uh, like I'm a big fan of NBA Top Shot. I, the product is beautiful. It's just a, it's a great experience, but you know, like as a, as a, as a top shot, like minnow, not quite a plankton. I'll, I'll call myself a minnow. Uh, you know, I'm definitely looking for that, like further engagement, uh, like with, you know, with the team that I like or with the player that I like, like how, how does that like work and, and, and sort of like, what's the next step for them? Certainly looking for you know, forward to that. And then I think like on like the Azuki's uh, collection, you know, I, I, I kind of want to see, they have great like website. They have a great website right now. I think they're, you know, their branding is really on spot. I'm, I'm really- A lot with, 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 with wearables as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I saw, I, I was just like walking around uh, where I lived the other day and someone was wearing, wearing a, um, a bathing ape shirt. And I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm hoping like board ape supplements that or something like that. So I'm definitely looking for these like real world experiences, like the bridge between the two. And then, yeah, like in a, like the new innovations of, of business models for these. Uh, and like when, it, you know, when everything will just airdrop, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, right. Air, when airdrop. Yeah, when airdrop. I'm just going to lie. Yeah, exactly. Just one day, just give it all to me, you know. All right. Man, that would be, those were nice back. Back when those were just coming out every couple of weeks, right? It was fine. Yeah. Uh, have you been to uh, many in-person events or have you gotten to get to? I, you know, it's funny before the pandemic, I used to go to a lot and I tell this funny story of, um, I went to, uh, 
it's like really going to show my age. I went to a Decred meetup, which is, for those who don't know, is a, is a, a Bitcoin-esque product. And um, they, the, where I went, they ordered, um, they ordered 10 pizzas, but only eight people went to the event. So uh, that just kind of shows you like how uh, popular crypto was in 2018, I want to say this one. I bet um, they didn't pay for the pizza with Bitcoin anyway. No, they, no, they did not. Uh, they used good old Uncle Sam dollars. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to see like how, how far things have come. And, and I was, uh, I went to an event, like a a pretty small event, um, about a couple of months ago. And, um, it's good to see the energy back with people. Um, I like to see that. I, I, uh, I think I'm going to make a huge, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to make a splash next year by trying to go to some of these places, but, um, it seems like, uh, it seems like, yeah, there's good energy there. So, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed getting out to some events. Just was at Basel, as I, as I mentioned, and, uh, hoping to get to NFT NYC again, uh, this coming year, they seem to just, uh, make, make it difficult and move the month every, every event. Um, so you can't really, you can never predict it, but could you say like, anything? Was there any interesting activations at, at Basel? Uh, so NFT now had a big, uh, two blocks or so, uh, just for their own event, but then they had different booths within there where art blocks was there and MetaMask was there and, uh, 9DCC, uh, which I talked about, um, recently they had a, a mid a shirt there. A, one of 1200 was a snow fro. Uh, inspired art on this shirt. So they worked with him on that. So there were some, there were some definitely cool, uh, NFT events. Um, you know, it was a little quieter in the NFT areas than, than maybe I, I expected, uh, compared to, compared to something like, I mean, NFT NYC is just, it's, it's pretty big. You know, I know there's, there's some complaints about, uh, the event and, and I would also say that you don't necessarily have to go to to the official event to, uh, to find many things to do. I mean, that's, that's definitely the case at Basel, you know, where it's very unofficial. It's part of me, maybe it's part of Miami art week. I'm not sure if it's technically even, even that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, well, the, the in-person events I think are great. You know, I think people are still kind of getting out and I think part of, you know, even the, the fashion thing that's part of kind of bringing this off the screen, off the, you know, off the computer and making it a little bit more real. <laughs> right. Exactly. Step away from farming. You'll be, you'll be okay. You don't have to get all of them. Yeah. Right. So you have, you have some new dashboards coming soon, but you are your, well, right now it sounds like you are a uh, paternity leave. Huh? Trying to figure out how to make, how to do a swaddle. Yeah. So. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I, I remember that one. That <laughs> Now I need tips. Let me know. Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking on, you know, always looking for new data. Um, always trying to build, you know, new data dashboards really to help people understand you know, how data is being surfaced. You know, I've got a lot of like, you know, research projects on the back burner, really trying, really like trying to go after this question of like NFT engagement and, you know, what kind of, who will be around for the long haul. And then really, I am very curious about this DeFi NFT overlap. I, I think there's very, you know, there's, I think the two are very separate right now. And I think people just assume by building a, a lending NFT platform that everyone will just come, you know, no questions asked. But in reality, the reason people got into NFTs is not because they're also excited about uncollateralized lending. Like they don't know what any of those words mean. And frankly, I don't think, 
not helping right, anyone. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Them. Yeah. So I, I, but then at the other hand, like on the other hand, I, I think, you know, if you have a board ape, you know, if you did get lucky and held on for all this time and you're sitting on, you know, $70,000, uh, it would be nice, you know, to realize some of these profits or, you know, maybe you have a dog who's going off to college and, and you need to pay for tuition, uh, you know, it would be nice to realize maybe a little of these profits, um, yeah, right. Or fractional ownership. So I think it's definitely an, an, an untapped area. I, I don't know how it will work though, in terms of UI and, and execution. What, uh, what, what, what have you been active with in, with, in your wallet recently? What has been my wallet? I, you know, I'm like a, a real, a real DeFi, uh, degen. Uh, recently I've been, uh, I've been, I've been, it's like really bad farms that I've been going into. It's, uh, it's pretty sad. I, I've been trying to figure out recently, you know, some of these like NFT projects that have really gotten sold off, but there's a lot of work going behind the scenes. So like Rumble Kongs, for example, um, this was like a project that really, you know, had a lot of hype. Um, so I own a couple of Rumble Kongs in, in full transparency. This is a project that got a lot of hype. I think Steph Curry was wearing a Rumble Kong hat at some point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And like they had people working on it behind the scenes. You know, there are, there are truly people working. They are alive. Um, they are, you know, programming. I'm, I'm going to check the floor price right have now. You, you know, but, um, yeah, I know the ones that are they're still busy and haven't left. I mean, we know that a lot of these are going, they're going to zero. And um, right. it is. You know, exactly. finding the ones they're still busy and going to keep building through, you know, through the bear. That's, that's, uh, that's key if you can find them. Right. Exactly. So yeah, you know, I'm kind of looking at that area a little bit. I've been trying to like, you know, look at more like these illiquid art blocks collections. Yeah. I just don't know right now, like what the best way, I don't know what the best way to display them or engage with like other people or like really engage with the artists is yet. So I'm still trying to like, I also just don't want to get ripped off by like buying, you know, something for like four ETH and then being like, what have I done? <laughs> well, I beat it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's some, there are some very pricey, very illiquid pieces in, uh, in art blocks. You know, there's definitely some, some great buys, but, uh, can be difficult to tell the difference. And you know, that, that's the beauty of NFTs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I respect what the pudgy team is doing. Uh, I don't own any penguins, maybe. You know, yeah, but that is impressive. They're, they're the strength of the older, the degen score is high. Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. And they're really, uh, they're really executing there. So, um, you know, shout out to the team there for really, uh, putting something good together. So yeah, that's like, I've been really trying to think about like, you know, what projects are still actively being worked on and, and sort of like, can you scoop up any, any good values? Uh, yeah. and like, you have to like what it is. Right. I mean, like, I don't like if I buy something, I, you know, honestly, like, I don't want to sell it. I. I, uh, you know, I'll just hang on forever. That's the best way, right? Just buy what you, what you actually want to own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That way, if it goes to zero, you feel a little less bad. Oh, yeah. Hey, we all have at least a few of those, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Uh, so where can people find you and, uh, you know, yeah, you can find a very inactive crypto account starting today at Elbarto underscore crypto on Twitter. Uh, I'll be back in February. You do have a list of uh, research for I, people who want to get some homework. There's, there's some. <laughs> yeah. If, if you feel like you have nothing to do over the, over the break and uh, you want to do some NFT research, I have plenty of projects for people to hand out. So wow. it, 
Is the baby here already? No, no, it, it's coming okay. soon. Yeah. All Give right. Well, no. well, very exciting. That's awesome. Um, anything else you want to add before we sign off? You know, I would add if anyone has any advice on having a, a dog stop barking in a shadow, like please reach out to me because uh, <laughs> it's been a, a constant thorn at my side, but he's a great, he's a great pal and a great farmer. So welcome to Joe. That, that shadow's throwing him. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alberto Crypto. This is awesome. First interview. Uh, very excited. And we'll have to talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com in our show notes. Again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.